this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. We're so glad you've taken the opportunity to avail yourselves of our audio sermons. If they are encouraging to you, or if you just want to make a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and leave us a comment. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. First John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, Brother Steve. But when He shall appear, the Bible says we shall be like Him. Amen? Isn't it an amazing thing that the God of heaven, that the transcendent God who sits upon the throne of heaven and who makes earth his footstool has called us his children. Isn't that pretty amazing? And that not only are we his children, but that makes us heirs with Jesus Christ. That's an amazing, amazing thing to me. David, uh, in Psalm 68, as he called out to God, he invoked the fatherhood of God. He said, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let them that hate me flee before him, and smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, and let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. David saw God kind of like the father, you know, the little boy who's like, hey, my dad can beat up your dad, right? (laughs) Sing unto God, sing praises to Him, extol Him that rides on the heavens. His name is Jehovah. Rejoice before Him. He is a father to the fatherless, a judge of the widows. He is God in His holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families, and He brings out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious that dwell in a dry land, O God, when Thou went forth before Thy people... Thou didst march through the wilderness. The earth shook and the heavens dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst send the plentiful rain whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt with therein. And, O God, thou hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Kings and armies fled, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though you have lain among the pots, you shall be as the wings of the dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings, it was white as snow in Solomon. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, as high as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye hills, that which is God desireth to dwell in, yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, as in His holy place. Thou hast ascended on high, and thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts from men, yea, the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, He that is our God, the God of our salvation, unto the God and the Lord belong the issues from death, 
but God shall wound the head of his enemies and the hoary scalp of such as one that goeth on still to his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan and I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and thy tongue of the dogs of the same. They have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, and the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players of instruments followed after, and among them there were damsels playing timbrels. Bless ye God of the congregation of the Lord for the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin with the ruler of the princes of Judah, the princes of Zebulon, and the princes of Naphtali. Thy God hath commanded thy strength, because, O God, thou that thou hast wrought for us, because of the temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. Rebuke, rebuke the company of the spearmen, the multitude of bulls and calves, till everyone submit himself with pieces of silver. Scatter thou the people that delight in war. Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands to God. Sing unto God, you kingdoms of the earth. O sing unto the Lord. To him that rides upon the heavens of heavens, which were of old, and he that does send out his voice, that of a mighty voice, ascribe strength unto God. His excellency is over Israel. His strength is in the clouds. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy place, the God of Israel. He that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. Can we say thanks be to God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we understand that you are our Father, Lord, that you care for us as you care for us as little children, Lord. We look to you in faith, and you do not disappoint us, Lord. We do not put our confidence and faith in you like we have our own earthly fathers and find ourselves let down. Lord, your ear is not deaf that you cannot hear us, Lord. Your eye sees everything. I pray today that as you have called us into your holy place to worship you, Lord, that you would meet us here, forgive our sins, feed us from heaven, and send us out to do your work. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise God from for just a few moments longer as we go to our text in Matthew chapter 6. My sermon today is called Our Father. Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 15. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let us pray. Father, we hear the words of your Son Christ here as he was speaking to the disciples and those who were there, gathered there that day. We pray that you would open our eyes, that you would illuminate these words, that we might apply them to our lives and understand them, that we might live them. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks, uh, Matthews chapter 5 through 7, and they contain a great deal of what most people quote uh, as the words of Jesus. Uh, Popular uh, people that don't even know Christ are always quoting from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, They have their ideas of what it means, uh, but they understand it very little. Uh, We as God's people should understand it the most. In this most extensively covered teaching of Jesus, he was giving those who had ears to hear a snapshot of what kingdom life would be like. Life in this new kingdom that was coming, what it would be like and what it can look like in our lives today. Read all together, instead of singling out each verse as a quotable quote, we have the opportunity of seeing really a masterpiece of a picture of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, the actual, the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean to live that out? And that's what we get to see here. He covers the whole of life in in His message that the kingdom of God is here, and soon the kingdoms of this earth shall be the kingdoms of Christ. This kingdom will not be the result of a well-trained army. It will not be the result of swords of iron or great chariots or thundering horses. Amen. It will not be the result of a well-implemented law, a system of government that uh, causes people and punishes people when they disobey it or uh, whatever. It will not be that because if there had been a law given that could have given life, where would, where, where would this have happened? It would have happened among the children of Israel who had the law of God. As the scripture says it, if there had been a law that could have given life, Verily, righteousness would have come by the law. This kingdom, born within the hearts of men who have made, been made new creatures by Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, with laws written on the tables of their heart, will light the world with their good works and bring glory to their Father which is in heaven. That's what the kingdom is. Amen? As he spoke from the top of this mountain, not far from where he grew up, he showed us all who we were in the kingdom. We were the kingdom members. We were the ones. We were the, we were the poor in spirit. We were the feeble. We were the meek that would inherit the earth. And that the way that God's kingdom would come would not come through some austere, great way. But it would come through the simple lives that we live. As Paul said that we should live, we should aspire to live what? Quiet lives. Simple lives. Does that simplicity and that quietness and that righteous life that we live would be the overwhelming army of God come upon the earth because the world cannot resist the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel is not loud. It is as light is silent. 
but yet it is pervasive. And the darkness of this world will be dispelled by the light of the people of God where Jesus said He was the light of the world. He looked at us and said what? You are the light of the world. A light that can't be hid. Put it up on a a hilltop. Let the world see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here in our text, He has been uh, teaching us how to treat one another. How to treat our enemies. The true definition and purpose of good works. How to and not to give. How to and not to fast. How to and not to pray. And here in our text... He is still covering the idea of hypocrisy. Uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had this down to a science. They knew how to do everything you could think of that the law would ascribe. They knew how to fast in such a way that was just amazing. And they planned it out and they did all these things. They knew how to tithe every little thing, you know, every little grain of sand. They knew how to uh, look right and they knew how to sound right and christ said that's not what you're searching for but you want that righteousness but you want your righteousness to be that and more everybody say and more see we don't despise the righteous living pharisees that's not what we're here to despise we're to despise that it comes from a heart that desires for men to love them and for men to respect them and for them to feel good about themselves God does not let righteousness come in your life so you can sit back and go, you know, I've really been good this week. And you know what? God's really, really pleased with me. If that is the result of your good living over the past week, then you miss it. Because Christ points to the Pharisee that prayed and said, Lord, I'm so glad and I'm so happy that I'm not like him and i'm glad that i fast and i'm glad that i give and that i pray oh lord lord you've just made me so good i'm so glad but the bible tells us that jesus pointed to the man who felt unworthy who as he approached god felt like he shouldn't even be talking to god who saw himself in his depravity and sin like he was you see folks when we see christ humility is the only response And if you see yourself and you feel good about how you've been, uh, then you're obviously blinded like the rest of the world and you need to pray for God to open your eyes. Here he taught them how not to give, uh, to fast and to pray in particular. And we will look how he addresses God. We will address how he addresses God in prayer. What we see is that God is a personal God, a real God that cares. He opens up himself to us in a personal, intimate way. Even in an affectionate relationship, He is our Father. Everybody say, He's our Father. We will also note that at the same time of understanding that He is our Father, that there is tension here in that uh, as intimate and fatherly and friendly as He is to us, He is also to be hallowed. That God's name should be honored. That it should not be a common thing. God is not wanting us to write His name down, Steve, on something and be afraid to say it. But at the same time, there was something in the austerity of the Jews that understood about God who, when the scribes would write the scriptures and every time they would write the name of God, they would change their clothing. And even if Lord was in the verse that they were scribing down five times, they would change their clothes five times and take a bath between each one. There's something good and lovely and beautiful about that. Uh, But at the same time, God is saying, that's not necessarily where I want you. You know, my children write out the scriptures so they can hide them in their hearts. And I don't have them in between change clothes and go take a bath. 
uh, and get a fresh new pencil every time they write, Lord. I don't think God requires that of us, but there's something about hallowing the name of God that is lovely and is beautiful and that we should uh, seek for. We need to understand that He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, consuming fire of heaven. It is He who rides upon the clouds and has heaven for a throne and earth for His footstool. And third, what we see in Christ teaching us to pray is that all of our life and all of our prayers should be framed by one thing in particular, and it should be framed by the kingdom of God. What does this have to do with the kingdom of God? And what is the kingdom of God? And and Lord, how does this apply to my walk with you and how the kingdom is coming? Our prayers should be framed by, as a picture is framed by a frame. As we come to our text, the very first uh, thing that we notice here, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but uh, some of this is repetition from last week about hypocrisy, but there's something a little extra in there. He tells us that when we pray, we don't need to pray with vain repetitions. Does anyone understand what that means? And really, you most of you are not from a tradition that, that really has this, and so maybe you don't understand what is being talked about, but... Do you remember what the prophets of Baal did, Jacob? And Jacob, you know, you always have these fun answers. Uh, so you can just nod your head. You don't have to say anything. You prophets of Baal, you've heard of them. Okay. And uh, <laughs> you look a little scared, Jacob. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to scare you. Yeah. Uh, so the prophets of Baal, uh, they, what they did is they ended up uh, trying to call out to their God who wasn't going to hear them. And, and they, they over and over and over, they begged and they pleaded and they thought, well, if he doesn't hear us, we'll just pray louder, right? And they called upon God. Well, in the, in the, in the church that I grew up in, there was some of this. Uh, people would come and they would come for prayer. And it was like, God, hear me. But then it would be like, oh, God, hear me. God, please hear me. Lord, I need you. Lord. And, and there would, this would go on and on. And this would probably be uncomfortable for some of you. But, but people taught us, they're like, you've got to press through. And you've got to not be ashamed. And you've got to call out to God till He hears you. And you've got to be persistent. And you've got to go. And we go, oh, God. Oh, God. We pray. Do you, know, do you know God hears you when you say, Lord, hear me? That's it. God, God doesn't need us to increase the volume. You know how like when we call for our kids, Nathaniel Mark, Nathaniel Mark, Nathaniel Mark. That, that actually goes on in our house quite a bit. Nathaniel Mark. And we scream real loud. You know, he didn't. God's not like that. He hears us when we pray. Okay. And, and God doesn't need us to go over and over. Did, did you know I really wanted that? God, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Do you understand? I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Believe it or not, come on, Steve. Steve can bear witness with me. This is like the manual for prayer to God. And what's funny is, as I learn more about God in the Scripture, I'm like, you know, we sound, we look more like the prophets of Baal than like, like the prophet, right? And so, you know, there is something that, that there is about fervency, but, but God is saying, you know, God, the heathen, pray and pray and pray and yell and yell and carry on and carry on and carry on, but your God doesn't need you to do that. He can hear you. He said they think if they say a lot and they pray... You know, there are people who say, oh, I laid in prayer for five hours and I begged God and pleaded for God. Do you know God doesn't need you to lay for five hours in prayer? Not that we shouldn't pray and meditate and love God, but what I'm saying is, is God, this is not required by God for Him to hear you. You know, I really didn't mean it, you know, and, and if He sees that I cry and I mean it, He'll listen to me. You know, like mom and dad, like my kids will come and talk to me, you know, and you're not hearing me and next thing you know they're crying. God doesn't necessarily need that. Well, he certainly doesn't need that. Like we do and like 
the gods of this, this, these, the false gods of the world. What happens when that happens is that we end up getting very emotional and very worked up, and uh, it doesn't. It's it's not as though it's moving God somehow. But when he gets past not using vain repetitions like the Father or like people do, he says that we should address God in a certain way. And what there's many, many things in this prayer, and I will actually cover them later, but there's something in particular that really stood out to me, and I really felt God wanting me to deal with today, is that the very first two words of his prayer was, Our Father. Everybody say, Our Father. Now you have to understand that this is kind of a strange way uh, of addressing God. When people uh, who worshipped Ashtaroth and Woden and all of the, the you know these gods, these gods were not like fathers. Uh, they might have been like drunk fathers. They might have been like abusive fathers. They might have been like uh, the fathers who neglect their children and they have really important things to do and they treat their children like they're not important. Like those kind of fathers, okay? But they were never fathers who loved their children. They were never fathers who would take their child by the hand and take a walk with. They were never the kind of fathers who, uh, who could, their children could crawl up on their lap and, and get a few inches away from their face and look into their eyes and talk to them. The gods of this world, the false gods, were never like that. They were never addressing God as father in an intimate, loving, and affectionate in a, a, a personal way. God was always uh, either so transcendent that we could never find Him like the God of Islam. The God of Islam is this uh, harsh, far away, consuming fire. Tough, no, you know, Islam is not like, oh Lord, my, my dear Lord. That I, no, absolutely not. It is like you're praying to Him in hopes He doesn't kill you. And you're wanting to please him, and so you're working super hard. And it's like the dad that that you know that that you work for, try to please, try to please, try to please, and no matter how good you are, nothing you do is good enough. That's the God of Islam, and so it produces some pretty hard things. They're hard on their wives, and they're hard on their children, and they're hard, you know, in their government. They're cutting off hands and killing people in in, in brutal and ungodly ways. So the concept of Father, as Christ began to introduce it, was really even strange to uh, the Jews. Uh, not, that, not that they uh, didn't see God as their Father, um, but, but it wasn't really dealt with a great deal in the Old Testament like it is in the New Testament. Throughout the Bible, we find God portrayed as a Father. Uh, the portrayal, however, is surprisingly rare. Uh, God is specifically called the Father of a nation in Deuteronomy Uh, 32, Isaiah 63, twice in Jeremiah, which we read earlier, Uh, Malachi, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, and only twice in the Psalms. So that's not really that much, right? That's that's it. That's the entire Old Testament talking about God as a father. Only 15 times, guys. Um, The metaphor of God, uh, historians and some people say the reason they... Uh, were avoiding, they believe, God being talked about in this way was because of the perversion of it. Uh, the perversion of what a father is had been perverted so much so that if you compare God to a father, uh, that people might get confused about what you really mean by a father. Um, but needless to say, when Jesus began teaching, uh, this was his favorite term. In fact, uh, Jesus says, uh, 
65 times in the Synoptic Gospels alone. And 100 times in the book of John, Jesus refers to God as what? As His, as his Father. Uh, the exact term that Jesus uses, He uses a term that has really sort of been misunderstood, uh, but, but scho- uh, scholars are starting to understand it better. The term Abba. Father and and I, when I grew up, I was always taught, and it was actually well thought of, even in uh, scholastic circles, that what this really meant was daddy. Okay, um, the scholarship now says that it was a common household term for little children, but it was also a term used by grown children as well, and it was not really daddy as much as it really was father. Okay. And um, this is carried on in Mark and Romans and Galatians. Uh, the Aramaic is used, the term Abba, Father. Um, but this Father, what it does, as I pointed out earlier, is that it suggests an intimacy, uh, a closeness, a relational type of a thing. And, and you can't have really a concept of how remote people felt from God in the world that, that Christ was a part of. But you know now, everyone thinks of God in a very personal way. Even, even, even those that don't know God. You meet someone on the street, you know, and they think very commonly, right? Even in movies, you know, they encourage people, just talk to God like He's your buddy, you know. God doesn't care what you have to say. Just, just say anything and God will hear you, right? I mean, isn't that theme pretty much in the culture today? Uh, and so this has, uh, this has been good in the understanding that God is a personal God. It's, it's kind of gone the other way a little bit too far, right? Where everyone is very, very casual and they're like, you know, hey God, dude, you know, whatever. I mean, people would just think they could just say whatever they wanted to God. Uh, and no, Sage, I'm not talking about Uncle Dude because I know you have an Uncle Dude, right? Am I right? You guys have like an uncle named Dude. Yeah, that's right. If you didn't know that. You don't know. A third unique feature of Jesus' teaching concerning Father is the frequency of it. It's out of proportion, really, where it is in the Old Testament. 165 plus times in the four Gospels compared to only 15 times in the entire Old Testament. Um, This was not just a way Jesus taught His disciples to address God. Uh, Father, you know, our Father which art in heaven, but it's also how he referred to God uh, as his Father. In the Pauline letters, God is described as a Father over 40 times. It occurs in the blessings where Paul talks about in Romans and 1 Corinthians, Romans 15, uh, in thanksgiving, in exhortations, and even in in creeds. Did you guys notice today when we said... And you may have not noticed that I was really looking for it, but we believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator in heaven and earth, right? Later on it mentions the the Father. Um, Even in the Heidelberg, right? What does it say? That our who protects us so well? That our Father protects us so well. You know, and they're not even just saying, you know, God the Father. They're just saying our Father. I mean, it's, it's implied in the Heidelberg that we know who we're talking about. That our Father protects us so well. That not a hair can fall from our head. And so, so what has been achieved in the teaching of Christ and as it has come out into the church, we have begun to see God in a fatherly, intimate way. And that has changed the perception of the entire world about God through time. 
It is through the work of Christ that God invites us to call Him what? Abba, Father. Uh, we talked about today that we that uh, in Galatians chapter 4, when Andy read for us today, that, that we're His servants, right? But He invites us to be what? Not just His servants, but His sons. And if we're His sons, then he, what should we call Him? He's our Father, okay? So when we pray, God is telling us we should pray to Him with the understanding that he is listening like a father listens, probably better than the fathers that are in here listen, right? Uh, and he is able to do and is willing to do. Uh, I, I know the fathers in this room, uh, you know, there's something that God gives us um, that makes us want to provide good things for our children. Wants them to enjoy life. You're not, you know, your whole goal isn't just to raise up, you know, these... Uh, soldiers who have no feeling in their heart, you know, who are willing to die, you know, whatever. But we we want to we want to love our children. We we take pleasure in them. The Bible says God takes pleasure in His people. You know, when I'm when I'm sitting and my kids are playing a game and they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves, I I I, I don't need any more than that. I just look over there. I'm like, look, you know, they're having fun. They're giggling. They're singing together. They're having a good time. I enjoy that. Um, I do still yell at them, Heath, when they're doing that instead of cleaning the kitchen. Uh, but I do uh, enjoy my kids. And we need to remember that God enjoys us. That, you know, sometimes when we pray, we think that, you know, all that God wants for us to do is God's going to meet our needs. He's going to make sure we don't starve to death, right? Do you think that's really where, you know, where God stops? He just doesn't want us to starve to death or freeze to death and... He's going to meet our minimum requirements and we dare not ask Him for more. Or do you think God cares? Right? Little kids don't, they're not afraid to go, Dad, can I have a pony? You know? I mean, what's a pony for? It's not like we pack things places and we need ponies to take us there or, or to put stuff up. I just want a pony. You know what I mean? And there's something in the heart of Dad that goes, I wish I could give my kids a pony or whatever. You know? Because there is a loving there is a there is an intimacy and there is a closeness god is not just there to meet our our needs like we only come to him and we've done everything we can and we really don't want to bother him and god's really busy and we only want to ask him for what is necessary is that what is that what your kids do not mine dad i want a duck you know elizabeth has now you guys might find this beetle She's smiling like everyone's wondering what I'm going to say about Beetle. Beetle, is it, is it donkeys that you like? Or mules? I, I can't remember. Is it a mule or a donkey? She likes donkeys. I'm like, we're never getting a donkey. But there's something in me that goes, you know, I wish I could get her a donkey. You know? There's no, there's no rational. No, it's a Scotty dog that she wants. So she can put a little sweater on it or something like that, right? We don't need Scotty dogs, but you know what? I care that she wants one and that she likes one. And there's something in me that says, or what is that kind of car you like? What's that car you like? What is it? It's that little British little car, that little, what's it called? A Mini Cooper, you know? If I could just get her one of those. If I ever get her one, you'll know that it's just for me. She doesn't need a Mini Cooper. It's probably the dumbest car ever. What she really needs is like, you know, a, a steel-enforced Volvo, you know, that has a side impact and 
the, the roof would never, you know, if you ever see me get her a Mini Cooper, you know that I've done it for me so I can watch her driving around and know that I got her something she really likes, you know, and that she loves her dad. But we get this idea sometimes, you know, that, that, that God has a limited amount of time or that, that we should only come to him when necessary, when all else fails, go to God, you know. I don't want my kids to have that relationship with me. I want my kids to, to know that I love them. And, and I think sometimes they don't ask me because they know I don't have a great deal of resources, you know, so they don't bother me. But, but you don't have to worry about that with God. God's not limited by time. He's not limited by resources. And today, and this is, I hate to even mention this, but do you know the people, they, they want to take Father out of the Bible because, of course, that would mean that God is what? He's a man. Oh, well, we, we know God's not a man, right? God's a spirit. So we, if you ever find yourself that you have to argue with these people, just go, hey, you know what? God's not a man because the Bible says that. But he is my father. And the Bible says that. And, uh, but it also says that he loves me like a mother too. So, you know, God's not limited to our way of thinking. There are metaphors, obviously. The early church councils, as I said, talk about God, our Father, the Heidelberg. But what I think is funny is, not funny, but interesting, how God, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, gives us these words the way that they do. Our Father, okay? And then it says, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, on one sense, he's inviting us into the intimate relationship with the Father, Right? But on the other side, he's saying what? Okay, we need to remember, where is our Father? Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he's invited us into the intimate circles with him, but then reminds us who he is. Because yes, he's invited us in. And the invitation in is not an invitation to casual thinking. You know, the casual thinking that causes people to wear like pajamas to Walmart, you know. The casual thinking that causes people to, to think that, you know, God is, uh, God doesn't mind, you know, God understands that we're human and so, you know, we, we never bow, uh, you know, we just pray doing whatever and, you know, we're chewing gum, you know, like a, like a, a Holstein, you know, and, and we're like, you know, God, you know, I was just thinking, you know, God, you know, we're not supposed to do that, Okay. God invites us to talk to Him, but do you know it's a, it's good that we think about that we want to treat God with respect. I was telling my wife, it seems that people would treat the president more respectful than they would God, even if it was Barack Obama. Right? You might dress a certain way, or you might stand up straight, or or you might not go. Chewing gums are pet people. I don't know if you know that, notice that or not, but. And I know we got a few gum chewers in our family, but I'm praying for them. God has to remind us because we go too far. God has called us to a, to a place in the middle. The place in the middle that calls, calls us to remember that He's our Father, that we have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. But we need to, ha- we need to understand who it is that we have an intimate, personal relationship. Who do we have it with? We have it with the God of heaven. We have it with the almighty, the all-knowing, the all-seeing, the holy God. Which should cause us to enter in, but enter in with trepidation. You know, um, and kind of, you know, Esther gives us the picture of that. She had a relationship with her husband. 
but yet she knew if she came in and she did it the wrong way, there was some concern, there was a risk that she might take. In that case, she could die if she came in and he wasn't pleased, but she took that risk, right? And so we're not at any risk with God, but at the same time, we are at risk of being disrespectful and of not showing him the proper honor and respect. And we should encourage our children and we should ourselves uh, try to, to walk that road the way that Jesus taught his disciples. Amen. He next, after he said, he shows us how to address God. What's the very first topic? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy the kingdom. What was Jesus' favorite subject? And I tried this the other week and I'll try it again. What was Jesus' favorite subject? Everybody say, the kingdom. What did he come to preach? The good news of the kingdom. He's trying to tell us that there's a kingdom coming. And they were confused about it in so much so that they were picturing him as some sort of a military ruler that he was going to overthrow the Romans. Did he overthrow the Romans? You can say no and you can say, oh yeah, he did. Are there Romans today? Is there a Roman Empire anymore? It's gone. It has been taken down, but it wasn't destroyed the way that they wanted it to be destroyed, that God had it destroyed the way that the kingdom destroys things. We would like to go, I'm going over there to that Colosseum where they're taking Christians and they're feeding them to the lions and I want to blow it up and I want to dismantle it brick by brick. And Christ goes, I know another way. How about if nobody comes and nobody sees it and nobody wants it to be? And how about then if it's used for the glory of God after that and no one has to tear it down? It's kind of like the cathedrals. Cathedrals are beautiful places, but if you learn about why they were made, it's absolutely horrible. And right now, the people that own and run the cathedrals around the world, half of them don't even believe in God. But I'm telling you, I believe that a day is coming that that the true worship of God will happen in a cathedral. That hearts will be changed. That we'll be able to worship God in a cathedral with the right heart. Instead of taking and fleecing the poor and the widows and, and uh, the fatherless children and ignoring and neglecting the work of Christ and, and trying to glorify themselves by building something lovely. There's a way to do it all. Just like Jesus said uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees, there's a way to live the righteous life they live but not be a hypocrite. And he said, don't, don't abandon the righteous holy way they live. Do it better than they do it. He says, but, but if doing that causes you to neglect the weightier matters of the law, if you're going to neglect something, don't neglect mercy and don't neglect judgment and don't neglect love. Neglect the cathedral first. Amen? And so, but one day, one day God's will will be done. Where? Everybody say, on earth. You see, the kingdom, as we've talked about before, some people think it just means heaven. And they think it just means one day. Or they think it means, uh, you know, the United States. And, and if the United States, if we get a good ruler, I'm telling you, the United States probably has very little to do with God's kingdom coming. But the kingdom of God is coming here. It has come and it is diffusing hearts and minds all over the world from the blindness of 
uh, ungodliness and sin in the light of the gospel has gone forth from this nation who has indeed turned its heart from God. But God has not turned its heart from this nation. God has not turned its heart from the people of the world. God has not somehow gotten uh, distracted from his goal. What did Christ say? He said, I will build this church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Christ is building the church, amen, all over the world. And he's building it in Africa and he's building it in Asia, in the United States and South America. And yes, there's ungodliness and it does seem like David in the time of David. Oh, how long will the evil prevail? But I'm telling you, the day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? And so our prayers and our thoughts should all be framed and focused on not our kingdom, the kingdom of the Narwhals, the kingdom of the Cusels, the kingdom of the Ratliffs. These, when we build these personal kingdoms for ourselves, and when our life focuses inward instead of focusing outward, we miss out. I'm telling you, you know, teaching your children to value family is good, but when you become family-centric instead of kingdom-centered, you will raise up children that will not be the kind of children that you, that you will even be able to enjoy. That God has taught us, and he, he teaches us all throughout this Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us all throughout the Scriptures of the New Testament as He lives out His life. Jesus did not spend His life with Mary and His brothers and sisters at home, hoping that somehow that was going to do it. He was always going out. He was always uh, with people that didn't know him. He was always out there coming to the home of a Zacchaeus who was a bad dude, who was a man who ripped people off and did people wrong. But he could look at him and go, hey, you know what's come to your house today? Salvation has come to your house today. And that's not passing out a track. That's not going down to, and I'm not saying passing out tracks are bad, but I'm saying that's not reaching out like what Christ teaches us. We should find ourselves reaching out into relationship with people. I mean, the people that Jesus formed relationship with are people we would not talk to. We would be afraid what people thought. Remember with the woman who's touching his feet and they were like, if he knew who she was. And did you think he didn't know who she was? He knew who she was. We don't want to go there. We don't want to reach out. We're so afraid. We have built walls around our house. We have become family-centered. We have tried to protect our children from what you cannot protect them from. We live in the society that we live in today and the culture that we live in today. And if you try to remove them from that and act like it's not there, one day they'll grow up and be out of your house and they won't know exactly what to do out there. We need to understand what we, who we are and where we live today. And God hasn't called us to cloister ourselves in. He's called us to go. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go. Everybody say go. The world has not been changed by people that stay. It's by changed by people that go. Whether they were Adoram Judson who left America, the United States in the 1800s by ship, losing his uh, first child at sea and losing three wives in the process to go to the country of Burma to spread the gospel or the person that leaves their house every day thinking to themselves, where, oh Lord, is your kingdom coming? Where is your will being done? How can I go to the community center? Maybe there's a child down there that needs the gospel, that wants to be heard. How can I find a way into their lives? How can I find a way into relationship? Where can I meet a Zacchaeus? Where can I meet a woman of ill repute that someone is wondering why I'm hanging out with her? 
That is the lifestyle that Jesus lived. That is what he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks to us and he says, you need to understand, you were these people. You were blind like they were. You were in sin, but me in my mercy, I called out to you and I called you out. And yes, you're not among them. And no, you don't have a place at the table of Baal anymore. But the Bible says it's the spirit and the bride that says come. And that invitation goes out not necessarily just from pulpits when we draw the world into our church services. I don't even think that's where we should be trying to reach them from. And I don't think that, as I was talking to Luke about this, we're not to go, uh, and, 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 and maybe God has called certain people to do this, and I'm not trying to blast this, I'm using this as, a meta, as somewhat of a metaphor. People that think they're preaching and they go out and they stand on corners and they, they, they yell at strange people as they go by. Repent! And they go away and they're like, you know, I preach the gospel. And some people call those people brave and amazing and whatever. And they, they have their videos and they out-argue them. You know, and, and I know some of you like that. I don't, I don't like that. I mean, I could do that. I can go beat people in arguments and I can yell at strangers. But I'll tell you what's harder is inviting those strangers into your home. What's harder is going into their home. What's harder is sitting with them and forming a relationship with them and finding out right where they are and bringing Christ to where they are. Paul said that I become all things that perhaps I might do what? That I might win some. He had a desire to see people's hearts change. And the Bible says, how, he says, how shall people hear? Except what? Except a preacher. And he's not talking about a street preacher who stands on the corner and yells at people. He's talking about someone who cares enough to do what Jesus did. Jesus sat down and taught because they were begging him to do it. But Jesus walked everywhere speaking and talking to people everywhere. He never sat still. Every time you hear it, he's in Capernaum. And next thing you know, he's here. And next thing you know, he's there. Next thing you know, he's taking a walk to Jericho. Next thing you know, he's in Jerusalem. Why did he just stay still? Because he had to go. He had to teach us what it was. I mean, if you put Jesus in the context of today and the time he took to travel, it would be like Jesus was traveling to Africa and Jesus was traveling to Europe and Jesus was traveling to South America. He was on the go. It took him days of journey to get to where we can get to in hours and in minutes. And yet we don't go. We're building these kingdoms for ourselves, and we think that if we do so, that somehow we won't have children who don't know God. I'm telling you, if you want your children to know God and you want them to see Christ, we should live like He did. We need to be going. We need to be finding. We need to be searching. We need to be preaching the gospel to the lost and dying world. The good news is that the kingdom is coming. And Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and do what? Baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all things. I was trying to explain to Luke. The Bible teaches us that one day when the kingdom comes, when, when we're at the place of... Uh, um, oh, what's that word? When we're at the place of the consummation, that the world will still be filled with people who don't know Christ. And they will follow His Word and they will bow their knee in a system that will be built on this earth where Jesus literally reigns as King will exist. The Bible teaches about it. The Bible talks about trade and commerce and money and and travel and the law and the beauty of it all. And it's a great picture. It's a picture of the consummation of the kingdom. We're a long way off from that, but the way that we get there as individuals is by saying, you know, hey, you know what? I can't save everybody, but I am working with a guy. And he does have questions. 
And I'm going to teach him how to obey God's laws. That's what, that's what Jesus said. Teach them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. When you have a chance to teach someone the way to live as Christ lived, to love one another, to forgive one another, to be merciful, to be kind to sinners, if you can teach that way of life, I'm telling you, that's how the kingdom is coming. That's how God's will is being done on earth. Everybody say, on earth, as it is in heaven. I'm going to read uh, part of my text here and I will close. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But you know, therefore, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. After this manner, pray. And if you want to say it with me, say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, You were teaching us about You and about the relationship man can have with God, the relationship man can have with one another, how the beauty of the kingdom is coming and how it's coming and how it's not coming. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would, uh, that You would deliver us from the fear of the pollutions of this world, which we are not called to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Lord, we are not afraid that the children that we raised are going to be lost. And as a result, we operate in that. But Lord, we are confident that you have called us, that we are your sons and your daughters. And we raise them for the glory and the beauty of the kingdom. Not in fear of the kingdoms of this world. For there is nothing to fear in all of that. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And yes, you have called us out from among the world to be separate. But you've called us also to go, to go into the world and preach the gospel, to go and speak the word of God for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how indeed shall they hear without a preacher and how shall the preacher preach unless he is sent? May Foundation Church be a place that sends out preachers of the word of God and may we indeed declare what your word says. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news, the good news of the kingdom of God. In Christ's name we pray, and our church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.